One day Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They wanted to know how to pray. And in some sense, we all understand the basic concept of prayer. It's it's about talking to God. It's about listening to God. So what was it that the disciples were getting at? What was it they were asking? I think they were asking how they could experience the same kind of life of prayer that Jesus had. I think what had happened was they were, had traveled with him, they had watched him, they had walked with him, and they had seen his life of prayer, the way he was in conversation with God, the way his prayers were answered, the way there seemed to be this deep relationship in his prayers with God. And so they wanted to know, how can we have that same sort of thing? And so Jesus offered them a prayer, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. We heard it read earlier from the Gospel of Luke, and that's one version, and there's another one found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And these prayers we also use in a slightly different form often in our church services, following a, an older, kind of older, some more traditional language. And so we often say in church, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as opposed to our translation for today read. But the idea is Jesus was giving his disciples words to say. He was giving us words to say, but I think he was giving us more than simply a string of words to put together. I think he was giving us a framework for prayer, but also an approach to prayer. He was saying, I want to invite you into a life of prayer. And that's how we best understand what Jesus taught, is we see what Jesus taught in terms of prayer also lived out in his own life. We see them not simply as these are the words that he said, although in some cases he did use these same words, but also to say, in order to understand deeply, to understand better what Jesus taught here in terms of prayer, we have to look at the rest of Jesus' life and at his teaching. And so for the last few weeks, we've been exploring these words that Jesus gave his disciples, exploring how we might enter into that same sort of life of prayer. So we began with the opening part of the prayer that says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we realize that to begin prayer, we have to begin by recognizing to whom we're praying. We're We're praying to a God who loves us deeply. And I think that's why Jesus said, this is where you have to start. You have to pray to your Father. And we see that in his life of prayer. It's one of Jesus' most common terms that he uses to address God. He begins in the very beginning praying to his Father, but then even at the end of his life, several times as he's dying on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. He realizes And he demonstrates, and Jesus teaches us here, that this is where we begin in prayer, recognizing that the God to whom we're praying loves us deeply. We don't need to convince God. We don't need to overwhelm God with arguments or use fancy rhetoric. But we begin in a place of understanding that we are deeply loved by God. And so we come to God, and we can ask God for things, knowing that he loves us. And so Jesus says, this is the place to start in prayer, recognizing that you're praying to your heavenly Father by whom you are deeply loved. The second phrase in the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
Or, as we noticed in Luke here, he simply says, your kingdom come. Those phrases have very similar meanings. The idea is to see God's rule, God's activity flourishing, being revealed more and more in the world. Well, what does the kingdom of God look like? Well, Jesus taught frequently. In fact, his most common teaching topic was the kingdom of God. He came and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom was sick being healed. It was about people being released from the power of demons. It was about the poor being set free. It was about chains being loosed. It was about an upside-down kingdom where the first are last and the last are first and the mourn are blessed. It was a kingdom where people's hearts are changed from the inside. That's the kingdom of God. And so that's what Jesus taught. It's what he proclaimed. We see it in his life lived out as he ushered in the kingdom of God. And so when we pray this, we're praying to see that same sort of thing, to see God's will and his kingdom being revealed. We're praying to see people living together in peace. We're praying to see the poor being raised up. We're seeing, praying to see orphans and widows being cared for. We're praying to see this upside down kingdom. We're praying to see hearts changed, our own and the hearts of others, so that we're doing the things that God calls us to do. And so that's what it means to pray for the kingdom to come. It's also about God's will or his kingdom to come and not ours. It's about giving up our desires and our wants and living into what God desires. And we see that in the life of Jesus too. At the end of his life, as he's preparing to give his life on the cross for our sins, he prays that these very words, not my will, but your will. He recognizes that at the heart, what God is asking us to do is to give up our desires and our wants, instead to live out God's desires. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're not only asking for God's reign and activity to be more visible in the world, we're asking for a change so that we too can be a part of that, so that we can give up all those ways that we want to control things and allow God to be the one who makes the decisions. And then we come to this next phrase, which is our phrase for today, which is, give us this day our daily bread. And so as we enter into this we see a couple things about these words. What is Jesus teaching here? First of all, I think one of the key things he is teaching is a life of dependence on God. He's saying, God, give to us our daily bread. He's saying, we need you. He's saying, when you pray this, it's a way to remind yourself that you are completely dependent on God. We see that in the life of Jesus as he lived it out. We heard the story earlier from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, and Jesus has been led out by the Holy Spirit into the desert, and there he fasts. He goes without food for 40 days. And then the devil, Satan, the tempter, comes to him and says, Jesus, take those stones there and turn them into bread. In other words, rely on yourself. And Jesus responds with, man does not live by bread alone. And there Jesus is quoting from a story in the Old Testament. He's quoting from the story of when God's people had been freed from slavery in Egypt and they were escaped and they were in the desert and they had nothing to eat. And God provided them manna, this food that came down from heaven, this bread from heaven. But he's, and in that, God was teaching them 
to be completely dependent and to trust in him. And so as Jesus quotes that, he in some sense is saying, no, I'm not going to be self-reliant. I'm not going to try and do things and provide for myself, but I'm going to recognize and see God as my provider. And so he says, give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus lived that out. And so what are we praying for when we pray for our daily bread? I think one of the things that Jesus is getting at is it's a prayer for the necessities of life. This day, our daily bread. And bread is a staple of life. And for daily, it's saying, this is a prayer for what we need, what we would call necessities. But what are the necessities? What are the absolute things we need? I think there's a key in how Jesus has given us the prayer. One writer um, talks about praying backwards. And he was talking more broadly about our prayers and how we sometimes use the phrase, in Jesus' name, and it comes at the end of our prayers as this sort of tack on a blessing to say, oh, here's all the things I want. And, like, and then, oh, in Jesus' name, as a way to make sure that God gets through it. it it's almost like putting a stamp on an envelope. Well, I've got all my prayers and I pack them up. Oh, in Jesus' name, and the stamp is to make sure it gets to the right place. But this writer says, no, he says, we begin in some sense in Jesus' name. And that's what Jesus teaches us here is we begin, remember, with our Father. And so we begin by praying to God and recognizing who it is we're praying to. And we're praying for His name to be glorified. And we're praying for His kingdom to come and His will to be done. And so when we begin in that place, those places of focus, those things that we begin with, begin to filter, they begin to shape, they begin to mold their kind of requests that we ask of God. So if we begin by saying we're praying to our Heavenly Father and we're praying for His name to be lifted up, that people to recognize His goodness and glory, and we're praying for His kingdom to come and His will to be done, now, as we've begun in that place of prayer, it shapes how we pray, it shapes what we pray for when we come to the necessities and what it is we ask for. One writer put it this way, he said, terms such as comfort, safety, accumulation, and excess face radical redefinition. Terms such as comfort, safety, accumulation, and excess face radical redefinition. When we're praying for the kingdom to come, we recognize God's kingdom is about something different than we're used to. God's kingdom isn't about all those things that we think we need, or maybe those things that we want, but what it looks like. And so it begins to reshape us. And so as we begun in that place of beginning with God as our Father and praying for His kingdom to come, what is truly needful begins to be reshaped and changed. And so we recognize that. I can't tell you what your necessities are, but I would suggest to you that when we pray this way, when we pray and begin with, Father, make your name glorified. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. Then when we come to the place of saying, give us this day our daily bread, those other prayers have shaped what it is that we truly need and maybe given us ideas of some things that we hadn't thought of that we need. 
and not, not always in terms of physical needs. It might be spiritual needs. It might be emotional needs. It might be psychological needs. Maybe to live out God's kingdom and live out God's will might require a change inside of us. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it might be a prayer for God, I need patience today. God, I need you to help me love someone. God, I need you to change the way I view my spending of money. God, I need you to help me view the way I, the, help me to change the way I view other people. And so give us this day our daily bread. But one of the things we also may have noticed is it's not give me today my daily bread, but give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is inviting us when we pray this to think beyond ourselves, to recognize our neighbors. One of Jesus' key teachings was when someone came to him and said, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, this is the greatest commandment, that these two things go together, loving your neighbor. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus is inviting us to be praying, not simply for what we need, but what for others need. To be thinking about them and to be aware of them. Maybe even to have prayers, our prayers be shaped by what others need. Maybe as we see others and what it is that they need or what it is that they lack, it might shape the way we pray as we think about what we need. But it's also reminding us that we need to be cognizant, that we need to be aware, that we need to be paying attention to what are the needs of others around the world. As I'm entering into the time of prayer, Jesus is saying, don't get so focused on yourself that you forget about others. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's also an invitation by Jesus to think about what is it that others in the world need? What is it that my neighbors, my friends, my family, my co-workers, my classmates, what is it that they need? And so Jesus is inviting us into a life of dependence. He's lighting, inviting us into a life of asking God for necessity. But I think there's maybe even something a little deeper going on. When he says, give us this day our daily bread, I think Jesus is also asking us, teaching us to think about something a little bit bigger. And I think that comes partly as we read the story we saw in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, where Jesus describes himself. This is John, chapter 6, verse 48. We hear it again. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone can eat and not die. And so Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. And so even in this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, we can think beyond and recognize that there are the necessities in life. There's food and clothing. But in the end, those things won't keep us alive forever. In the end, we still die. And so we need something more. And what we need is Jesus and his life. And so the prayer for give us this day our daily bread is also a prayer for Jesus and how he sustains us. It's a prayer to receive his life and to be sustained by it. 
It's a picture that is found throughout our Bible as we look at these images of God and, and banquets and the way that the banquets are a sign of God's kingdom being fully realized. And so in, for example, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8, It says this, on, the, on this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines, the best of meat and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shrouds that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. So when Jesus is saying, give us this day our daily bread, He's talking about the bread of life also. He's talking about his life, and he's talking about this vision of the kingdom of God when it comes in all its fullness, this picture of a banquet that's one of the primary pictures that God uses in the Bible to describe the end when God has restored all things. So even this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is to say, God, give us a taste of what that kingdom comes like, of what that final kingdom looks like, much like the prayer just before Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But it's also a prayer asking for, God, fulfill my greatest need, which is my need for life in you. And so, God, give us this day our daily bread. Give me Jesus today, is what Jesus is teaching us to pray here. And so as we prepare to come to the communion table, we recognize that, in some sense, the communion table wraps up all these prayers together. As we come and we receive bread and wine, we recognize that what we are receiving is the gift of life. We're receiving all that we need. We come and we say, God, you alone are the one who can provide. You are the one alone who can forgive us our sins. You alone are the one who can give us eternal life. You alone are the one who can change us. And so we come to the communion table and we receive. We open our hands and say, God, we are dependent on you. You alone are life. And I come to you with my needs, the needs for my heart to change, the, need, the psychological needs that I have. God, I come to you with my spiritual needs. God, I come to you with my physical needs. And I come with open hands. And we also come, and as we come with those open hands, we receive that bread which represents the life of Jesus, the bread of life. And we receive that. And I read a great quote this week uh, from Wesley Hill, whom I quoted last week. He had a wonderful book on the Lord's Prayer that's been helpful for me in this study. And in that, he talks about this very thing. And this is what Wesley Hill says. He says, in the Eucharist, which is what we call, or what his phrasing for communion or the Lord's Supper, in the Eucharist, Jesus puts himself in our hands and we know exactly where to find him. In that moment, we don't have to wonder whether God is for us. We know he is because we've just tasted his provision. We don't have to wonder whether God is for us. We know he is because we've just tasted his provision. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. Is Jesus inviting us into dependence on God to say, God, I trust in you. It's an invitation to see those around us in need. But it's also an invitation 
to trust in God for our greatest need, for eternal life, is to receive the bread of life, to receive Jesus himself. And so as we prepare for the Lord's Supper now, as we prepare to take communion together, I would invite us to pray this prayer that Jesus taught us. And so we pray together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.